is with me always. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Well, you are in Revelation chapter 2, and uh, we're going to hear some incredible words from Jesus in Revelation chapter 2, and he refers to these words as words that uh, the church needs to hear. In fact, he says, following each one of these messengers, uh, messages to the church, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. You know, there comes a time in every conversation where the one who really knows the truth needs to finally speak up. For instance, you know, if we were talking about business and economics and finances and and entrepreneurship, and Bill Gates walked into the building, I'm not sure that everyone would, I'm sure everyone would agree with me that, that we would probably all shut up. Bill Gates needs to speak about entrepreneurship. We need to hear what he has to say. I don't think what I have to say is important at all if Bill Gates is in the building and that's what we're talking about. You know, if we're talking about golf and how to have a better swing and how to win championships and Tiger Woods walks in the building, not much of a Tiger Woods fan. I probably should have said Phil Mickelson, but, you know, I wanted to make my sons happy because they like Tiger. I know this. I, I, I no longer have anything to say about golf. If, if Tiger Woods is speaking about that subject, I, I need to shut up. I, I need to listen. And that's what we have here in this passage of Scripture. We have <clears throat> the subject of sexuality here in, in the Bible, and we're going to hear Jesus confront sexual sin. You know, there's been a lot of talk about sexuality in our, in our nation in the last 40 years, 50 years, maybe more. Seems as if we've heard from Sigmund Freud and, and Ellen, what is her last name, the, the, the generous. We've heard from uh, Hugh Hefner and Howard Stern. And what we've been told by them is basically this, that you know, sexuality is, is really no big deal. There should be no restriction at all when it comes to that. In fact, ultimately, it's really this. Whatever you do is your business, and the advice we're being given is, really, if it feels good, do it. Well, I think we've heard from everyone else, and maybe now it's time to hear from Jesus Christ. I wonder what he has to say on this subject since he created it. Since he's the one who created male and female, what does Jesus have to say? Well, here in Revelation chapter 2, as I, as I very uh, carefully and pastorally, but yet prayerfully, scripturally, and biblically approach this subject. You know, whenever you walk into a church building and maybe you're visiting this morning for the first time or the second time or, or, or just, you know, you're even a member and you see the title of the message is Jesus Confronts Sexual Sin, you might be wondering if you, did you come on the wrong Sunday? The truth of the matter is, is honestly, in, in the day in which we live, I can't think of a better Sunday to come than to learn what Jesus has to say about this. And so Jesus begins, really, in Revelation chapter 2, if we were to take verse 1 and establish who is speaking here, we want to be reminded who it is that's speaking. It says, unto the angel of the church. And remember last week we discussed who that angel was. That is the messenger of the church. That is the 
very possibly even the pastor of the church. The angel of the church of Ephesus, he writes and says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Well, again, just a quick review. If we remember last week who we found out that was, we could go back to verse number 13 of chapter 1. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man. And so we see again this morning, let's establish first of all, that Jesus Christ is in the middle of the church. He is in the midst of the church. He is the Son of Man. Look at verse number 18. As we approach our text today, which will begin really in verse 18, it says, And unto the angel of the church, the messenger of the church, the pastor of the church of Thyatira, these things saith who? The Son of God. Please, everyone, under the sound of my voice, realize who is speaking. Please, this morning, don't mistake this silly voice for the voice of the Almighty God. I'm just His messenger. I'm not the messenger this morning to the church at Thyatira. I'm the messenger to this church at Gospel Light. I'm not even the messenger to the church of the Nazarene this morning. I'm not the messenger of the church uh, of the Presbyterians this morning. I'm not uh, the messenger of the church to First Assembly this morning. I'm the messenger of the church at Gospel Light. And although all of the Christians and brothers and sisters in this town belong, uh, who, who, who know Christ as their Savior, belong to, to the family of God, the family that I'm most concerned about is this family. The family that I'll answer for is this family. The family that one day I'll stand before God and give an account to whether or not I preach the whole counsel of God and what Jesus spoke in Scripture is, is, is this congregation. And so I approach this today with much study and very careful, carefully thought words. Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Who hath eyes like unto a flame. Again, a reminder of Revelation chapter 1. If you were here last week, if not, again, the podcast uh, is so helpful if you miss church. But we're speaking of judgment. God here speaks of his eyes as flaming eyes, as eyes of fire. That he sees us, he knows us. There's nothing we do that God doesn't see. He speaks of his feet, his feet of brass. And so we understand here again that there is, that God is speaking of of his judgment. And then, in verse number 20, well, verse number 19, he says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and patience and thy works and uh, that uh, the last be more than the first. And so he begins by uh, being very kind and and, and considerate uh, to this church. He, He talks about a few of their positive points. He's speaking here to believers in the church, and so he shares some some nice things, but he doesn't stay there very long. And if you ever have had a conversation where you've had to say some really hard things, it's always good to say some really nice things first, but don't say too many nice things because you want to get to what you really want to talk about. You know, let's, let's get to the meat of the subject. So Jesus starts off with some of the positive things that he He notices about this church, but then he says in verse 20, but I I do have some things that I'm very much against. 
There's some things going on. There's some things that are happening. A few things that, that I am against. Because thou sufferest. And we'll talk about that word in just a moment. And, 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 and further translate that just a little bit for you to help you. That woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a, a prophetess. Here is someone who disguises herself as a Christian. Here is Jezebel, by the way. Um, you know, I've, I have welcomed a lot of babies into the world. I have never yet welcomed a Jezebel. I think that name has long been marked off the list of choices for, for girls. Jezebel claims to be a prophetess, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach. But here's what she teaches. She seduces my servants. Very important. Now, I have the words my servants underlined, and next to it I have the word Christians, believers. She has seduced believers, even in the church, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The first thought that I want to give you this morning is this, as we move into the message and as I lovingly teach this, the first thought I'd like to share with you this morning in this uh, second sermon of, of this series in Revelation is that there is no excuse for tolerating sexual sin. No excuse. And so what I want to do is just quickly address the fact that our nation, our country, and even in many cases, uh, we see our churches sinking. If I can just use that word a few times this morning, sinking, sinking, sinking into a cesspool of Immorality, promiscuity, and even perversion. And so let me give you five facts about sexuality. Let's, what do you say we build a foundation for the message? It's 11.08. I'm careful of the time, and I usually conclude the messages at this time at about 11.45. So I've got some good time here, but I want to be a good steward of the time. Can we build a foundation that would give us all something to stand upon? Number one, sexuality is God's idea. Sexuality is God's idea. He's the expert on the subject. Hugh Hefner is not the expert. Ellen DeGeneres is not the expert. Sexuality is God's idea. Human sexuality, as God designed it, is really, really good. Really good. In fact, when God created it, when he finished it, he said, you know, this is good. I like this, a a man and a woman, and and there's going to be a a family. This this is good within the boundaries that God has established. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They had no reason to be ashamed. No reason to be ashamed. Naked. A married couple. A man and a woman within the boundaries that God has designed are naked but not ashamed. No reason to be ashamed. God is pleased with that. In Hebrews chapter 1, or rather 13, in verse number 4, one of my favorite verses, marriage is honorable in all. I love that. I love that verse because that is so true. I can tell you for 26 years, I've been blessed by that that, that those, those five words, that marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. Boy, when you do it God's way, there is there's no way to describe the peace, 
the joy, the contentment. And yet God goes on to say, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And we're not there yet, but we're going to get there in just a moment. Number two, sexuality is inflamed culturally. Very important that we understand what I mean when I say that because, you know, in reality, you know, sexuality oftentimes begins and should begin as a small little spark. You know what I'm talking about. You, you, you begin, uh, you know, I, I began by thinking girls were cute, you know, right? And wow, I think I like that smell and that look and she's pretty and and then I begin to maybe ask some questions and what's interesting is that fire begins to in to spark into some the, the little spark I should say rather begins to turn into somewhat of a little bit of a of a of a you know you ever heard somebody say she's hot you know <laughs> and then a little bit of fire burns and but I'm, I'm still within the boundaries. I'm, I'm not married yet, I'm, but I'm a man who has uh, some, some... I'm a young man, rather, at this time, who has some passion. And then all of a sudden, I begin to realize that uh, I've met someone who I want to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, let me tell you one of the dangers of that spark. It's in Song of Solomon, chapter 3 and verse 5, and it's on the screen. Hey, be careful. Be careful that you stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Be very careful not to stir up that fire, lest you have a forest fire on your hands and literally destroy your life. You see, Song of Solomon is so clear here. When it says this, in other words, here's a good interpretation I wrote in the margin of my Bible. Don't race the engine if you can't drive the car. I like the way someone said that. Don't race the engine if you can't drive the car. And so young adults have found themselves in this culture that we live in. As a result of everything that is around us, a forest fire has begun and our children are being infiltrated by sexual content on television and movies and the internet like never before. The age for sexual activity is becoming younger and younger and younger as a result of this exposure. Filth is everywhere. And it is pouring gas on this fire that should be healthy. It should be normal. But the gas that's being poured on this fire is culturally being inflamed. I went to visit my brother there in Las Vegas for Christmas. And, you know, I told my wife, I said, honey, you know, this has been a really one of the one of the things about coming to Las Vegas I'm not saying there's not, this isn't in Hot Springs, but, you know, they actually call that city Sin City. And, you know, I thought that was unfair until I went there. I think they've got it right. But there was so much nudity and there were so many things that surrounded me that I thought, this is a trap. And without understanding what I'm preaching today, and without embracing some of the truths that we're going to come across today, let me tell you something. The culture that we live in is destroying the lives of our children. 
and it's infiltrating even in the church. Number three, sexuality is promoted commercially. It's big business. In 2006, there were 4.2 million pornographic websites. 4.2 million. 89% of all internet pornography is based in the USA. 89%. In 2011, just four years ago, 18 million Americans visited a pornographic website every month. In 2009, eight years later, 78 million Americans visit a pornographic website at least once a month. 78 million Americans. In 2006, the porn industry took in more than $13 billion. To put that in perspective, that's more than ABC, CBS, and NBC made all together. All three of those major industries together didn't make $13 billion, but pornography did in America. Every day, more than 68 million requests are made for porn on search engines. Every day. Accounting for 25% of all searches on the internet, one out of every four is someone looking for porn. If those stats are true, there's many in this room that this week fired up that search engine. This is big business. Number four, sexual sin is personally damaging. Over half of all first marriages are preceded by living together compared to virtually none 50 years ago. Just 50 years ago, my lifetime in a few months, 50 years ago, virtually none. Now, over half of marriages are preceded by couples living together. Sexually transmitted diseases have doubled just in the last eight years. 70% of males from 30 to 34 years of age have a sexually transmitted disease. And 20% of women have a sexually transmitted disease. It's damaging. In 1965, 5% of births were outside of marriage. Today, one-third of all children are being born outside of marriage. 25% of all children conceived are aborted. One of every Four children are killed in the womb of their mother. It's damaging. And it continues to get worse. We're sinking, sinking, sinking in this cesspool. And these are all the results of this sexual revolution. There has absolutely been a change in attitude regarding homosexuality. You see, homosexuality crosses over from promiscuity and immorality into... Perversion. Homosexuality is always wrong. Period. And if there's no right place or no right person. A recent survey of 1,100 couples, men and women that were married, 83% of those married couples that had been surveyed said they'd been faithful to their spouse that year. 1,100 couples in that very same survey, 1,100 homosexual couples, 2% were faithful to their spouses. And in that same survey, 43% of homosexuals have had over 500 partners in their lifetime. I say all that to say that though that may not be popular, I I wanted to read what I was given to by a church member. And I feel like even though our church is not officially branded as a Southern Baptist church, that we are very much 
like one, and uh, we, or there's hardly any difference between us and the Southern Baptists, probably other than membership and and support of a of a more of a cooperative program and missions. I would like to read this to you quickly and and just uh, and say this is where we stand as a church. In the recent past, it was it was not uncommon to hear people speak in condescending ways, using statements such as "God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve." Usually, that was made in a, in a dismissive or a divisive tone. These kinds of trite comments show a lack of careful thought and sensitivity to people who are truly struggling with their sexual identity or orientation. The tone of the discussion has also changed. I rarely hear the, 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 those nasty condemnation towards gays and lesbians, bisexuals and transgender people. And by the way, we should not have that at our church either. The tone has changed and it should have changed. It's changed to reflect a more Christ-like, grace-filled, compassionate conversation about real people, for whatever reason, identify themselves by their same-sex attractions or gender identities rather than by their biological sex. With that being said, certain things remain the same. We have always believed that marriage is biblically defined as a man and a woman who are committed to each other as companions for life. Southern Baptist. And we as well also believe that sexual intimacy is a gift from God that is to be experienced only within the confines of a biblically sanctioned union of marriage. All other sexual expressions is outside of the will of God. In order to remain true to our our gospel mandate, we will call people to repent of their sins and trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. We believe all sins, including sexual sins, must be pointed out as sinful, inappropriate, and hurtful. That is where we have stood since our inception, and that is where we will continue to stand. We will continue to be Christ-like to all people and treat all persons with dignity and compassion, but we will also speak the truth in love. We will continue to state that the Bible has set forth a clear understanding of marriage, of sexuality, and we will uphold these biblical principles. We will continue to identify all sexual sin as sin and will fight against those who, who through inter, uh, interpretive gymnastics, seek to change scriptural admonitions to fit their culturally changeable frame of reference. So well put. We'll have some more things to say in a little bit. Number five, sexual sin is infiltrated nationally. Again, America is sinking into this cesspool of iniquity. And if you will look again at Revelation in chapter 2, there in your text in verse number 2, you will see that Jesus addressed this by saying, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel. If I could just for a moment, I'd like to take that verse and just, I've done this a couple of times It's helped me so much in my study. I'd like to take and show you the ESV version of that verse that some of you may have in Revelation 2.20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. The reason I want to show you that translation is because of the word tolerate. That you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Jezebel. Pay close attention to the word tolerate because that's what we're going to talk about. It's much easier for you to understand that word as we begin to teach the true uh, meaning, if you will, of what Jesus is trying to teach here. You see, pornography, or rather I should say sexual sins, are not limited to some urban issue. Let me say this. Pastors, athletes, politicians, 
prominent people are using their position to justify and to normalize their own sin. We see it all the time. Normalizing what God has placed boundaries around and declared holy within the lifetime bond of marriage. And so what's happened is all of a sudden we're being told that we're bigots. If we have anything to say about the sins of the flesh, immorality, homosexuality, any kind of perversion, we're just not tolerant enough. Let me take a moment and very carefully define what tolerance is. Three things about tolerance. Number one, tolerance is for people, not principles. That's why we make this statement very carefully, and we'll improve on this statement, that, that Jesus hated sin, but he didn't hate sinners. And we've often said that, but let's say it even better than that. You see, the truth is, tolerance is for people, because God loves people. God died for people. But if we disagree about something, tolerance is the tonality of our disagreement. Such was said in the article we read from the Southern Baptist. Tolerance is not the absence of disagreement. Tolerance is how I treat you where we disagree. And so you see, we may disagree. And we may stand on Scripture exactly where Jesus stands, which is, which is in a position against the sexual sins of the flesh, including homosexuality, which is the subject that so many seem to want the church to be tolerant about. And yet it is not tolerance towards the sin of homosexuality that we need to be soft about. It's the people who are involved in that sin that we need to watch our tone towards and love them and care for them and pray for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not tolerant of error. Not at all. I mean, if somebody comes to build me a house and they, and they begin to build it on sand, I'm not going to look at the builder and say, hey, bro, you know, you know I'm, I'm a little concerned about the sand here, but uh, I, guess, I guess you know what you're doing, so um, it's okay. God bless you. I love you. No, I'm going to say, hey, dude, we ain't doing this. If a doctor walks into the operating room with, with, with street clothes on and he's just worked on his car and he's got filth all over his hands and he says, all right, let's, let's cut her open. Are you serious? Hey, doc, you ain't cutting on nobody, dude. Go clean yourself up. You see, I don't tolerate error. Tolerance. Is not the absence of disagreement. It's how I treat you when we disagree. Number two, tolerance is for strangers, not friends. The closer I am to a person, the greater I'm going to get intense about it. In other words, I'm not tolerant in my family. I've got two boys in their 20s. Mo and Joe can tell you. Dad's not one to tiptoe around the tulips when it comes to right or wrong in my opinion about how they should live and decisions they should make. I mean, if I see my children going in the wrong direction, I'm like, 
oh, that's okay. You guys have a wonderful time. We'll be here for you when you need us. Just remember, we're just a phone call away. No! It's my family. It's my boys. I'm liable to raise my voice, Greg, every now and then. I'm liable to get red-faced. I'm liable to say, hey, listen to me. Listen to me, son. I love you. We're not going to tolerate that here. And I'm going to be honest with you, church, I'm not going to be tolerant too much to my church family either because we're family. And I'm going to preach the truth in love, but I'm going to preach the truth. And I have a responsibility to, to, to preach God's word and to stand on God's word. And yes, I love you, but I, how, how can I say I love you if I don't tell you the truth? And if you see me get tense sometimes, and if you see me raise my voice, it's only because, listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to be tolerant, as tolerant towards my friends as I would be a stranger. We're family here. I'm not, just gonna, I'm not gonna let you just ruin your lives and just say, well, we'll be here, you know, to pick up the pieces. I'd rather not pick up the pieces if I don't have to. Tolerance is not for strangers. We're family. Gotta help each other. Number three, it's not for small issues, or rather, it's for small issues, not big issues. It's for small issues, not big issues. You're not going to find people too tolerant uh, of an armed robber. I've been in a bank robbery before, okay? I'm glad the policeman shot the man. My son and I were both in a bank. Eight shots, you know. I mean, I'm on top of Mo. Bullets are going everywhere. I'm glad the policeman didn't say, I'll be praying for you and dodge bullets. I'm glad he opened up fire and nailed that sucker. That was a blessing. It helped us. It's just like being on the battlefield. You talk to a soldier. As hard as it is to talk to a soldier, they're not too tolerant when the tank's coming their way. You're not going to hear the, the, the general or the admiral or whoever it is in charge say, gentlemen, you know, there's a tank. It looks like we've got about four seconds to live. And, uh, but, you know, it's just how it goes in war. So uh, hang on. Brace yourselves. Tolerance is for small issues, not, not big issues. Let's understand what tolerance is. So back to Revelation 3.20, Ken, on the screen. Read it again now with, with what we've learned. I have this against you that you tolerate. What I'm against is what you tolerate. Do you see it now? Is it helping you some? Tolerance is not passivity in the face of destructive behavior. Tolerance is not turning a blind eye. We talked about five things tolerated in Christian homes that should not be. Moms, dads, listen up. Number one, sexually explicit movies. The bedroom scenes. Why have we become so okay with that? Why are we allowing... DVDs. Listen, even in my own home sometimes, I am shocked at what I'm seeing on the television. And I have to stop and say, wait a minute, what is going on here? That's not something, listen, that's not something Christians need to tolerate in their homes. Sexually explicit movies and bedroom scenes on their television. Notice there are no amens in the church right now. There's goose egg because we're all guilty of somehow just becoming okay with this. Number two, cable channels and internet sites that are unblocked. 
There should be no unfiltered access to the Internet. Why don't you just give your kid a loaded gun? That would be safer. Just give them a loaded gun and say, be careful. I would never do that. Well, you're doing that when you give them a phone or allow them on the Internet and just say, it's okay. I trust you. Number three, unaccountable time. Men, what is up with this, you know, my wife doesn't know where I am and I can, you know, this is my business. No, no, let me tell you something. I've been married 26 years. I've never been unfaithful to my wife and I've never been on pornography. She knows where I'm at at all times. She has a right to know where, and maybe that's why I've never been unfaithful. Maybe that's why I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I don't delve in some of these things. Because, listen, I am not going to live with unaccountable time on my schedule. I call my wife two or three or four times. It never gives her any reason to distrust me. But maybe that's why. I mean, I text her if I'm going to get a cup of coffee. I let her know, hey, sweetheart, I'm going to be over here. I'm going over here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It takes like three seconds. I just want somebody to know where I'm at. Unaccountable time. Lose it, guys. Make a plan to be a godly man. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday nights at 6.30 if you can make it. Number four, secretive relationships. Parents, you ever tried this with your kid? Let me see what you're texting. Uh, well, my 12-year-old kid has their own phone and I don't want to invade their privacy. I did that to my 20-year-old kid the other day. Let me read it, Joe. And it was fine. You know. And I would respect his privacy to an extent at 20. <laughs> but I'm still pretty nosy. Because he lives in my home and, you know, <laughs> I do pay the mortgage <laughs> and his insurance. Let me see your phone. By the way, I pay the phone bill too. <laughs> Kid's got it pretty good, doesn't he? All right, let me step on some toes. Hey, sweetheart, let me see what you're texting. Husbands, anything your wife can't ask you? Anytime your wife can't say, let me see what you... Uh, no, this is... You know, really, I'd rather not. Are you famous for just erasing text just in case? Secretive relationships need to be gotten rid of. We should not tolerate that. Number five, opposite sex friendships. Listen, I've never been on a chat room, but can I just say get out of them? Is that okay? Am I, am I, am I, am I, get out of these chat rooms. What's going, we get on the internet and we say things that we would never say to someone in person online. And I've never been on one, but I've been told that's what can happen. I'm going to tell you something. All of us need a lot less social media in our lives. I know we're living in a technology age. I'm all for it. But can we at least, you know, can we at least back off a little bit? Can we spend a little less time? I think we have just gone into this cyber world and we're living in all of these different ways through all of these different communication 
internet, and I don't even know. I'm not a pro, and I'm going to say stupid stuff, and somebody's going to laugh at me and say, boy, preacher, you could tell he's really lost. And I don't even have a Facebook page, and I know that's okay to have one, and I'm all cool with it. But, I mean, I just, I just don't want to have more than, than I've got. I mean, I've got enough to do a, a Twitter a day and a, maybe an Instagram picture a month. And good night, I've got five kids, a wife, a church. I've got a lot going on. I just don't have, like, hours a day to manage my social media life. I think that's a good thing. I'm just concerned when I look at people in their 40s that are staring at a phone 24-7. And I'm wondering, where is your life and who in the world are you talking to? Got to be careful. Opposite sex friendships are dangerous. Number three, or rather number two, big point number two real quick. Repentance is the cure for sexual sin. Look at our text in Revelation chapter number 2 and verse 21. And I gave her space to repent. To repent of her fornication. To repent of her immorality. I gave her space to repent of her fornication. Can I stop here and just say this? Isn't that a beautiful passage? Can, Can I get an amen right there? Aren't you glad God gives us space to repent? Isn't that beautiful? Do you see how God pursues the church here? Thus, the song selections today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Some of you said, man, I can't believe the pastor's son who led worship today actually said he struggles, but he's thankful for God's grace. Uh, The pastor is saying that. And if you're honest, you're saying it. Amen? We all struggle, we all fall, we all sin, but God gives us space to repent. Amen. Space to say I'm sorry, space to get it right. I believe today may be the last opportunity in some people's lives to get on a different path. I think maybe Brother Butch, when he gave his introductory thoughts, maybe said some things about the pit, didn't he? And he said, look, this is a good day to get out of that pit. He said it better than I could have said. So what does the word repent mean? It means a change of mind, a change of direction. It's an attitude that says, I don't want that in my life anymore. Anybody got something like that in your life that you just don't want in your life anymore? Repent. Let me give you five things that will be the fruits of a repentant life real quick. Number one, an open confession of sin. You know you have repented when there is an open confession of sin. You're not hiding it anymore. You call a brother and say, I struggle with pornography. I'm opening up to you and asking you to help me. (gasps) Really? That helps? Big time. I got six or seven guys in the church that have trusted me with that information and said, Pastor, I need help. And the only way I can recover is to be accountable to you. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need to pray for one another. You say, what do you do when they call? I say, you're not the Lone Ranger. It's okay. But let's, let's, thank you for the, let's, let's work together. Let's get through this together. I want God to, to heal your marriage. and I, I want you to be a leader in the church one day. Let's get this going. Let's, let's, let's get on the road to recovery. So there's an open confession of sin. Number two, there's an absence of rationalization. Rationalization, someone put it like this, is the mental gymnastics of choosing to sin. 
You know, like when my wife was sick for four months and we could not have any intimacy. Well, that's okay, right? I mean, if your wife's sick for four months and you can't have any intimacy, well, you know, four months is way too long to go without that. So it's okay for me to do some things that I normally wouldn't do. Is it? Or am I rationalizing? I'm rationalizing. Well, we just don't have the flame we used to have 26 years ago, so i got to go some other places to get it. But, you know, I mean, hey. Everybody does it. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, I had a preacher friend the other day that, I mean, he struggles with it. He still pastors. I mean, it. rationalization. You know you've repented when, that, when that's over. Number three, restitution. When you begin to make it right with the people, your sin is injured. When you go to that person, and I would say this, husbands, wives, be very careful about how you handle restitution with one another. There is Usually, it's, it's, it is better to confess it to, a, to someone who can help you through that and, and begin the process of reconciliation with your spouse. There's, there's some things there to be wise about and careful about. Number, number four, a restored heart for God. A restored heart for God. I'm ready to, I just, I need to get back in church. I need to get in a small group and be accountable. Uh, man, I'm just excited about church again and God again and worship again and... I love this. I'm just, I'm just so excited about all that God has in store for my life. It's not there in an unrepentant person's life. Number five, accountability for change, which includes making a plan, like getting a filter for the Internet, etc. A plan to win, not just, well, I'm going to try harder. No, no, we're not going to try harder. We're going to win. We're going to have a plan, and, and the plan is going to work. But look back at verse 21 as we close. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she what? Repented not. Not good. Now remember, we're living in a day where we don't see the kind of repentance that we need to see for revival. And if you believe the Lord was coming in the next 10 minutes, question, sir, would you repent? Then why don't you believe that? Because he could. He could come back in the next 10 minutes. And so, she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. And then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Big point number three. A refusal to repent brings severe tribulation. A refusal to repent brings severe tribulation. She did not repent. Why do people refuse to repent? Number one, because of pride. Because of pride. Anybody have this problem? It's hard to admit you're wrong. Anybody else struggle with that? I do. It's just hard to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I'm not wrong. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, I am. Pride. Number two, we refuse to repent because of confusion. You know, sexual sins are disorienting. I've talked to people involved in deep sexual sins, and I'm like, you're not making any sense. What are you talking about? You're going to leave your spouse? You've been married for 30 years. You've got five kids. Yeah, but, whoa, wait a minute. Repent. I don't love her anymore, and my kids will be fine. I'm like, dude, what's happened to you? 
disoriented. We don't think right. We don't think straight. People refuse to repent because of shame. You know when that light finally goes on and you realize you've sinned? You just hate the damage it's done to yourself and others, don't you? It's just like the reality of what this has done. Oh, my goodness. I'm so ashamed. You know what? There's no use in repenting. I've already messed it up. I've messed it up. I've, I've, I've lost my church. I've lost my family. No, Eric, repent. God forbid I would ever lose this church because of sexual sin or my family, but it'd be tough. And I know a lot of men that have. But Jesus still says repent. But Christ doesn't walk away. Aren't you glad Christ doesn't walk away? He loves us. He cares for us enough to, 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 to correct us. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Listen to me, church. You're destroying the fabric of who God made you to be. You're shredding your emotions by giving yourself to people that you're not that attached to anyway. Mentally and physically. And so we see here in this text as we... As we conclude, it says in verse 23, I will kill her children with death. You know, I thought about that for a long time, and I, I can't help but to believe that potentially what he's referring to here, though I'm just a little clouded here, I don't think I'm wrong to say that many people involved in sexual sins have really hurt their children. They've damaged their children. And the children are disoriented. Many times we see children do the same thing and destroy their lives like their parents did. Mm. And I am he which searcheth the, and the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You're corrupting yourself with sexual transmitted diseases that is a result of used and abused sexuality. Be very careful. The world says it's entertainment. Engage, enjoy for the moment, or you're going to miss out. But Jesus Christ says it's special. Save it for your honeymoon. Enjoy it for a lifetime, or you're going to burn out. Who's right? Let me repeat those to you so you can really think about it. The world says it's entertainment. Engage, enjoy. If it feels good, do it, or you're missing out. But Jesus says it's special. Save it for your honeymoon. Enjoy it for a lifetime, or you're going to burn out. Who's right? Jesus. Jesus is right. He's right every time. Sexual sin always leads to a self-destructive life. Every time, every time, every time. You'll not beat the odds. I love you, so I tell you the truth this morning. It'll destroy you. It'll addict you. It'll drag you into hell itself every single time with no exceptions. But finally, there is a reward coming for moral vigilance. Hang in there, teenager. Hang in there, single man. Hang in there, married man who's struggling a little bit right now. There, there's a reward. Look, if you would, at verse 24. But unto you I say and say unto the rest of Thyatira... I love the way this scripture is laid out. I'm saying this to the rest of you. As many as have not this doctrine, you've not involved yourself 
in this doctrine of Jezebel, this, this sin, this sexual sin, and which have not known the depths of Satan. You've not dived into that wickedness. I will put upon you no other burden. You know what I see there, church? I see this. It's not all that easy to live for God. And so I think Jesus says here, if you can stay clean, if you can stay away from sin, especially in the day and age we live in, wow, that's burden enough. Amen? That's pretty amazing when somebody can stay pure and clean in the day we live in. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Hang in there. Hold fast. Don't give up. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works into the end, to him will I give power over the nations, authority, blessing. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken, as, sh- as shivers, even as I have received of my Father. And don't miss this. This is awesome, and I'm done. And I'll give him the morning star. Listen, if you're willing to live a clean life, and a, you know, a life, a moral life, and by the way, if you've messed up, start today. Because here's God's promise. If you're willing today to repent at, at, at this altar or where you're seated, whatever you're comfortable with, maybe we should get a little uncomfortable, though, and get to the altar. That helps. But, but whatever. Listen, if you're willing to do that, he says, I'll give you the morning star. You know what that is? Jesus Christ himself. He says, I will, I will be intimate with you. Jesus says, I will be your best friend. I will come close. Sexual fidelity and sexual purity will lead to an intimacy with Jesus that will blow away anything you've ever experienced. No one will love you like Jesus. No one will care for you like Jesus. Oh, listen to me. Trust me. Live that clean life and you'll be given the morning star. You'll know what it's like to worship him in spirit and in truth. To lift your hands with a life of freedom, of that guilt and shame. Because when he forgives, he washes you whiter than snow. And he sees that sin no more. No more. He doesn't see that sin. He just comes alongside you and says... I've been waiting for this. I love you. Let me give you myself. Wow. And then verse 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus just spoke. Is it Hugh Hefner or is it Jesus? Is it Ellen DeGeneres or is it Jesus? Who, who are you going to listen to? Is it the world? Is it Hollywood? Or are we going to let Jesus, the expert on the subject, speak up and the church listen? Every head bowed, every eye closed.